I'm worn out for all that worshiping. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> praise God. Let's give God a hand. Let's just praise God for who he is. <clears throat> you know, Jesus said, uh, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. I think when we lift up the name of Jesus, you can feel that in your heart and your spirit, just drawn towards him. And so excited to be here again today with all of you. Uh, praise God for the, the opportunity to gather as a body of Christ. I always uh, kind of tell myself every Sunday, like what a privilege it is to gather with this many believers that love Jesus and Andy. This is awesome. It's also fall. Uh, you know my heart toward fall. Last year, I shamed some people that didn't think fall was their favorite season of the year. Uh, but all of my fall people that love the, the, the months of fall, would you just give it up for, the, for uh, God, for his glory? Football is back. Pumpkin spice has returned like an old friend, you know, like a reunion coming. The weather's cooling off. I actually had a 49ers jersey on before I came. I got ready to walk out the door. Katie said, don't wear that. <laughs> that is so distracting. Uh, so I, I didn't do that. But let's go. Let's go, Niners. <laughs> hey, we're going to read from Hebrews chapter 10 today. Would you all stand with me? Hebrews 10. We're going to pick up in verse 19, <clears throat> 19 through 24. If you missed last Sunday, I'd encourage you to look at that. That kind of caught us up to the middle of Hebrews, and now we're uh, the, the end of Hebrews chapter 10. This is what it says in God's word. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. With a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast. The confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Wow. <clears throat> I love it. With confidence to enter the holy place with our bodies washed with water, with our hearts sprinkled, with the new and living way open, what does he say? Let us draw near to Jesus. Today, my message is titled, Jesus is the Center, and I want to pray for us. Okay, Lord, thank you for this time together today to be in your word, to open your word, to learn about all of the things, God, that you've done for us, to pave the way, to prepare the way for us to be able to draw near to you. We don't take that for granted, Lord. Thank you for your death on the cross, for raising from the dead, for paving the way for us to do this incredible thing, this incredible privilege to be able to actually draw near to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So there are really two positions you can take in relation to Jesus. And those two choices are given at the very end of chapter 10. 
says in Hebrews 10, 39, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. In other words, you can either draw near to Jesus or you can shrink back. You're either facing Jesus, leaning in, or you're turning away from Jesus and moving away. There's really no third option. And I want to illustrate that with a, a very serious choice that needed to be made by my dog, Teddy. <laughs> I have a 10-year-old Cavachon. He is this beautiful little ball of white fur, and he's a little lap dog. And Teddy is just the most lovable dog in the world. Family, can we all agree with that? Kids, uh, my wife knows this. Teddy follows us around the house. Whenever we sit down, Teddy jumps up. Teddy wants to draw near all the time. He loves being with people. But Teddy was conflicted not long ago because I came home and I found Teddy's head in the bathroom garbage can. He was pulling some toilet paper out. Uh, Teddy is 10 years old. That's 70 in dog years. So this old dog is pulling out toilet paper and I caught him in that sinful behavior. I caught him in the act. And Teddy looked at me, and he had a choice to make in that moment. Now, if you know Teddy, whenever I come home and greet him, he usually runs up to me, his tail's wagging, he's panting, he's licking me, he loves to draw near to me. But in that moment, the tail was not wagging. The tail was down, and he paused, and he analyzed the situation. His little doggy mind was racing. Those of you that have pets, you can see your little animals' minds are just spinning. And I leaned down and I said, Teddy. And Teddy started to shrink back. And then something happened. I don't know what happens in dogs' minds, but something happened. Something snapped. And his little tail went from this to, and it just started wagging. And he ran up to me. And I was down at the ground like this, and I said, oh, Teddy, you're a good boy. And I began, began to pet him, and I said, my son, your sins are forgiven. And he licked me. These are the choices we have. Are we going to draw near, or are we going to shrink back? Now, we're talking about the Hebrews today. And the Hebrews were Jewish followers of Jesus, and they had a choice to make. They found themselves in a little tougher spot than Teddy did, but at the same time, they had a choice they needed to make, and it was a very real choice. Do I lean in and draw near to Jesus, or do I shrink back and go to everything I've known before? Later in the chapter, verse 32, the author writes to these Hebrews, you remember those earlier days after you received the light when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. Other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison. You joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew you yourselves had better and lasting possession. Do you remember that? I know you're being persecuted by the Romans. 
chapter 12 says, it hasn't quite been to the shedding of blood, but you're under some discipline and you're under some persecution right now. And essentially what he's asking them is, are you going to turn away and are you going to shrink back to the old way with all of your old Jewish friends asking you to come back to a religion based on rules and regulations? Or are you going to actually lean in by faith? And that's the choice we have today. Will you draw near to Jesus or will you shrink back? That's actually a very real choice today. In 1972, only one in 20 people in the United States, 5% of people had no religious affiliation. Those 5% were primarily atheists, agnostics, typically young, white, a very liberal on the scale. The, the sexual revolution of the 60s, the anxiety of the 70s, the greed of the 80s, and into the 90s, believe it or not, there was absolutely no change in the percentage of people that did not affiliate with any religion. The religious nuns, N-O-N-E-S, all right, not the ladies with the black and white, but the religious nuns were kind of this obscure, overlooked group. But at the beginning of the 1990s, something happened. I'm not going to go into all the causes right now. It had to do with a number of factors. It had to do with postmodernism and the internet and political division and a whole lot of other things. But all that to say, in the 1990s, the connection between faith in Jesus and identity snapped and religious non-affiliation began to rise and rise and rise and rise again. I want you to look at this chart. The share of Americans with no affiliation, look what happens in 1990. And look what's happening. The Cooperative Congressional Election Survey of 2020, it's a survey with one of the largest sample sizes, it's a political survey, put the percentage of those with no religious affiliation as 31.3%. Post-COVID, most people think it's closer to 35%. There is a massive shift happening in our society, and hundreds of thousands of people are turning away from Jesus. Did you know that? It's happening. In droves, people are doing what the author of Hebrews warned them not to do. They're shrinking back from Jesus. Now, I know some of you right now, the doubters, those that are looking at statistics and saying, ah, oh, well, there's probably more behind that. Okay. In 2015, the Pine Tops Foundation, it's a huge organization, think tank, came up with a project that's called The Great Opportunity. They try to put a spin, positive spin on the title of it. The Great Opportunity, but they painted a picture of the church of 2050. And their baseline scenario is that 35 million young people, and here's the key, that grew up in Christian homes will disaffiliate from Christianity by 2050. They'll shrink back. From 2015 to 2022, one million young people that grew up in Christian homes are disaffiliating every year from Christianity. They're shrinking back. 
I have watched this process happen with close friends, with family. You have friends and family that you said in a hundred years, I never would have thought that they would have turned away and shrank back from Jesus, but it's happening. Why is it happening? What is going on? Now, there are a lot of theories out there. There are a lot of people that would say, well, I think it's this, I think it's that. I happen to believe that what's going on is very clear to a quote by this early 20th century guy named G.K. Chesterton, and I think this is the key right here. He said, Christianity has not so much been tried and found wanting, but been difficult and not tried. Why are people leaving the faith? I wonder if it has more to do with a dissatisfaction in the religious systems and structures that are in place. I wonder if it has to do with the fact that many people come into churches and they hear things about rules and regulations instead of cultivating a vibrant relationship with Jesus. I wonder if it has to do with the fact that many churches are no longer proclaiming Jesus as Lord and the clear message of the gospel and instead something else. And people feel duped. I thought I was coming into an experience with Jesus, a transforming presence. I thought that something different was going to be there, but I left empty with repackaged religion and it didn't make a difference in my life and I'm leaving all of that. I wonder if that might be part of it. Praise God that this church is not doing that. And it's not just about that. It's Jesus. Are we drawing near to Jesus? Because if people are drawing near to anything else, then those percentages will continue to go up. And I think G.K. Chesterton is right. The author of the book of Hebrews says seven times, he's adamant to these Hebrews, draw near. Hebrews 4.16, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy. Hebrews 7.25, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God. Hebrews 11.6, and without faith it's impossible to please God for whoever would draw near to God must believe he exists. And Hebrews 10.22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. People in the Old Testament, people in the first century, did not know how to draw near. It was not ingrained into their thinking. In fact, if you look at the Old Testament, they were accustomed to the exact opposite, which essentially was stand back. Stand back. And now... The author is saying, no, no, I want you to draw near. But see, they were accustomed to rules and regulations and sacrifice and sin and boundaries. And it left people in this deep anxiety and this almost deep fear of God. Um, every year, our family watches a movie. Uh, we all have our favorite Christmas movies, right? And uh, my favorite Christmas movie happens to be A Christmas Story. Um, now, that just shows you where my wavelength is with humor and with everything else. But 
Every year we watch the Christmas story, you know, like TBS does the marathon, like it just goes on, Christmas story. How many here have seen a Christmas story? Okay, actually, how many people have not seen a Christmas story? Okay, Steve, we'll be praying for you. Uh, It's okay, it's okay. I have a prayer time at the end here, but... So there's a scene in a Christmas story, and... And if you know anything about the story, there's a few that don't, so I'll, we'll do this for Steve here. But it's a story of a, of a couple and these two boys, Ralphie and Randy. And Ralphie, the story revolves around Ralphie, the kid with the thick glasses and everything. And there's this scene where the mom in the story cannot find Ralphie or Randy. She's looking everywhere for Randy, and she can't find him. And she hears a noise and finally finds him hiding under the kitchen sink. Do you remember this? It seems his brother Ralphie is in trouble for saying a swear word. And so um, Randy has just huddled them there and he's crying. And his mom says to him, Randy, what's wrong? What you crying for? And he knows his brother's going to be in trouble. And so he looks up at his mom and with fear in his voice, he says, Daddy's going to kill Ralphie. (laughs) Daddy believed it. Daddy's going to kill Ralphie. Because Ralphie sinned. Ralphie said a swear word, and Daddy's going to kill Ralphie, and I don't want to be there for it because I'm afraid. I'm scared. I'm hiding. I'm shrinking back. That's what Adam and Eve did, by the way. They hid. They shrunk back. In the Old Testament, you know, the posture of the ancient Israelites a lot of times was to shrink back, to fall back, not because God was mean-spirited, but because God is holy, and they're sinful, And they can't approach his presence. And there was this deep anxiety in ancient times. I talked about this last week, where no matter what you did, it wasn't enough. You could sacrifice, it wasn't enough. You could give, and it wasn't enough. You could work hard, it wasn't enough. Because every year, a new sacrifice would have to be made. And there was this sense in people's hearts that they can't fully draw near to God. He's holy. And all they'd ever known was a system of religion. And yet the author of Hebrews is saying, but I need you to understand based on all the things I read earlier in Hebrews 10, 19, that the way has been opened. The veil has been torn. The blood of Jesus has covered and you can now draw near. Don't waver in the faith. About 30 years ago, A man named Paul Hebert, he's a missiologist, anthropologist at Fuller Seminary. He saw how this sort of mentality creeps into people's lives, this idea of putting up walls and boundaries and not uh, tending to draw near. He called this a bounded set mentality or a centered set mentality. He said a lot of people categorize people in a bounded set or a centered set mentality. Let me unpack this for just a minute. So you see a graphic on the screen here. And this is what he called a bounded set mentality. And what this means is that there are rules or there are fences, there are boundaries that get established, and then some people are inside and some people are outside. So if you are a Jew, you're on the inside. If you're a Gentile, you're on the outside. And he's found that people do this with social behavior. You know, if you're, and I'll make some up, if you smoke, let's say, you're on the outside. If you go to church, oh, you're on the inside. 
If you got divorced, oh, you're on the outside. Oh, you've been faithful, oh, you're on the inside, right? And we do this sometimes with people, and this was absolutely the world of the first century. This was Judaism, essentially. What developed is this bounded set mentality. So circumcision, the law, being Jewish, you're on the inside. Everybody else? Outside. The architecture of the temple designed in such a way that you would have a court of Gentiles, and then you'd have a court of Israel, then you'd have a court of priests, then you'd have the Holy of Holies, and every one of those was to keep people in their proper place. We build fences even today. <clears throat> we categorize, we label, we separate. And when we look at people, oftentimes we put them in boxes to say, if you do this, you're on the outside. If you do that, you're on the inside. But Jesus came and Jesus tore down all of the boundaries and fences. Jesus decided, no, wait, this is not the way. It's not a bounded set. And so what did he do? I got a list here. He removed the walls. He opened his ministry to women. He healed Gentiles. He touched lepers. He was a friend of sinners. He removed the boundaries and he introduced a new way of thinking, which is a centered set mentality. Check this out. This is different. Now, the issue is not so much who's on the inside or the outside. Now, the issue is what direction are you moving? The fact that you're all here in this place, praise God, but can I tell you something? The more important thing is the direction you're moving. Did you know the Pharisees had the bounded set mentality down and they had the rules and regulations and they did all the right things and the sacrifices and they said everyone else was excluded, but you know what? They were moving in the wrong direction. And in a centered set, when we look at people, when we talk to people, when we think about our relationship to Jesus, we don't do it based on rules and regulations and I did this, I didn't do this, and legalism. No, instead we ask each other, what direction are you moving? Are you drawing near to Jesus or are you pulling farther away? And this is a key issue because what the Hebrews were doing is they were being tempted to go back into a bounded set mentality, which says, if I just do these things, I'll make peace. I won't shake things up anymore. I won't be persecuted. Just follow the rules, follow the religion, follow the behavior, go back to the old system of Judaism. Everything will be fine. And the author's like, no, you've got to draw near. Are you drawing near or are you shrinking back? To illustrate it another way, uh, I've been to Australia, and if you know anything about the, the country, the entire middle is just a gigantic, you know, outback. It's just, I don't want to say wasteland, but there's not a whole lot there. Everybody lives on the east, east coast, pretty much, of Australia. And there's these enormous cattle ranches in Australia, huge cattle ranches. And what's interesting about it is they don't have any fences. There's no boundaries. The cattle can go wherever they want. And so a woman one time asked the local rancher, how do you keep track of all the cattle that's on your farm? I mean, they could wander anywhere. Where are all the fences? The rancher replied, oh, that's not a problem at all. 
I don't worry about the cattle. He said, you see, out here, instead of building fences, we dig wells. Let that resonate for a minute. Instead of building fences, we dig wells. What if we took our energy and instead of building fences mentally or in what we do, instead we dug wells of living water that would attract people to draw nearer and nearer? What if we didn't have to worry about building a million fences around our religion or our Christianity or the way we think or the way we act, and instead we just focused on building a deeper and deeper well of pure living water? I love the fact when I walk into this church, it says, Jesus people, that's who we want to be. We want to be people that draw near to Jesus. That is the key. That is the main thing. A centered set church has a very clear center. Jesus, be the center. It's all about you. It's all about you. As the song goes, we sang about it. When I am high and lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Stop worrying about all the religion, rules, regulations, and all that thing. Just dig a deep well. Make me the center and build your church and your life on me and drawing closer to me. That's the key. Draw near to the center. Because the walls have come down. The boundaries are no more. The rules and regulations, we're going to push them aside and we're going to focus on Jesus, first 17 of chapter 10, I will remember their sins no more. Draw near. Verse 19, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. I talked about that last week. Draw near. Verse 20, we have a new and living way open to us. Austin talked about that two weeks ago. Draw near. Verse 21, we have a great high priest. Steve talked about that three weeks ago. Draw near. Conversion happens when you change direction. Conversion happens when you are moving in one direction and you decide, I'm shrinking back, I'm turning around, and I'm moving toward Jesus. And there are people closer to Jesus on the outside leaning in than on the inside leaning out. That person you see at the mall or the gas station or the restaurant and they don't look like you or talk like you and maybe they don't go to church and maybe they're struggling in some areas. But if they're leaning into Jesus, they're closer than the Pharisees that sit in the church. I'm telling you that. Psalm 1611. The author wrote, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you want eternal pleasures? Do you want fullness of joy? Do you want an abundant life? Draw near. I feel so bad for that 30% of people that have no religious affiliation and the millions of young people that are turning away from the church because I don't think they've actually experienced what it can be like to draw near to Jesus. 
They've been sold a lie. They've never experienced his presence and power. And so what does the author say in Hebrews 10? He gives us three commands. They all start with, let us. Let us draw near. And then let us hold fast. And then let us encourage one another to do the same. That's a great mission statement for a person's life. Draw near to Jesus, hold fast to Jesus, and then everyone around you encourage them toward love and good deeds. Encourage them to do the same. Because there's some that aren't meeting together. There's some that stay away from church. They think they can do it on their own. No, 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 we need each other. Hey, you draw near to Jesus? I don't care about all of that other stuff. I'm just asking you a simple question. Are you drawing near to Jesus in this time? You know, I don't care about all the things you're doing, and I'm not worried about all that right now. I just want to know, are you drawing near to Jesus? I want to say to the 30%, 35% that don't have a religious affiliation or whatever it may be, I just want to say, come home. Draw near. It's not so much that Christianity has been tried and wanting. It's that you've never really tried to draw near to Jesus. And you've never experienced his presence and power. And so you're making up a bunch of stuff for why you're walking away from the faith. But at the end of the day, have you ever experienced the real thing? You ever experienced Jesus? Like a father standing at the end of the road, waiting for his children to return. God wants us to draw near in faith to him. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. Our lifelong nostalgia, our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we feel cut off, to be on the inside of some door which we have always seen from the outside, that is the universal desire for home. Jesus represents coming home. Religion won't do it. Boundaries won't do it. The law won't do it. Circumcision won't do it. None of these things will do it. They don't fulfill the longing. It's a longing for Jesus. It's a longing to come home. And we've all experienced the temptation that my dog Teddy experienced at the very beginning. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how close I want to be. I don't know if I want to draw near. He longed to be with me, but he felt conflicted inside. Unfortunately, I found myself in a similar situation. Grew up a good kid, great parents. I had good mentors. I had a good reputation. I didn't drink in high school. I didn't do all the things my friends were doing in high school. I played sports. I tried to manage that reputation. It was a crafted image. Avoided simple activities. But you know what? When I got to college, I realized nobody cared about my background. Nobody cared about my image. Nobody cared who I was. And I went through a six to nine month journey where the motivations in my heart were exposed for everything they were. And I was hypocritical. I showed up on church on Sunday. I partied on the weekend. I showed up at church on Sunday. I partied on the weekend. And I started to get embarrassed to face God. I didn't want to draw near to God. 
I had guilt in my heart. I had shame in my heart. I'll never forget one weekend waking up after a long night of partying on a Sunday morning. The first thought in my mind was, I got to get to church. I got to keep my image going. I got I to keep things rolling here. And I showed up at church and I felt like the biggest hypocrite you can imagine. Probably could have become a statistic like I mentioned earlier. I'm driving back to college that night and I just felt in my spirit this longing for home. But I knew I couldn't move back towards Jesus because the guilt was so heavy and the shame was heavy. And honestly, in that moment, driving back to my dorms, I could have just said, you know what? I'm not sure about Christianity, or I've got these intellectual questions about it all, or I don't know if I'm worthy anyway. I'd rather live this lifestyle. But like my dog, Teddy, I had a moment driving home from college. And the Holy Spirit was convicting me. And that guilt and that shame of not wanting to draw near began to weigh heavy on me. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me in that moment, son, I love you. Are you going to come home? Are you going to keep wandering? I pulled my car over to the side of the road. And in a moment that I'll never forget, I just began to weep and weep and weep. And I said, Lord, I want to come home. I want to draw near. I'm sorry. I love you. And he welcomed me with open arms. And he held me. And in that moment, he changed the trajectory of my life. When I was 19 years old, my life radically changed. You know why it changed? Because I had the courage and the belief that, you know what? In this moment, as the Spirit is convicting me, I'm going to take a step of faith. And I'm just going to take a step towards him. And I'm going to draw near. And I don't know what's going to happen from here. I don't know what I'll feel from here, but I'm just going to draw near to Jesus. And the Bible says in James 4 that if we draw near to God, God will draw near to us. I want to close by just saying this. Um, The primary goal of the enemy is to do whatever he can. Whatever he can, whatever strategy he can create to keep you as far away from Jesus as possible. So he'll tempt you to reorient your life around a different center, your career, your family, your hobbies, yourself. He'll distract you with things that never fulfill money, sex, power, possessions. I could go on. He'll wrap you in guilt for past sin and an unworthiness to come to him. He'll try to deaden your pursuit of Jesus with distraction. He'll get you fixated on intellectual reasons why you're not sure about the faith. He'll do whatever he can to keep you from drawing near to Jesus. And some of you right now are sitting here, and I know you're struggling to draw near because you have intellectual problems, because you find yourself in guilt, because you feel like a hypocrite, because you have distracted priorities, because you haven't made Jesus your sinner. And I'm telling you today, draw near, come home, experience Jesus. Now, I don't know what the deal is, but last week and this week, as I've been walking through this in the morning, God has been giving me these songs. And I'm not going to sing this one because last week, um, I don't know, maybe I should. I'm not going to, but there's an old, uh, old spiritual that God gave me. Oh, yeah, that kind of thing. Come on. 
And you probably have never heard it before. Some of you have never heard it. I'm just going to go ahead and sing it. But this is what it says. I just totally took the focus off everything I'm trying to do. But it goes like this. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling for you and for me. See on the portals, he's waiting and watching. Watching for you and for me. Come home. Come home. You who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling, oh sinner, come home. Come home. Draw near, right? Take a step closer. I don't care if you think that you're close to Jesus right now, you can get closer. I don't care how far away you think you are from Jesus, you can take a step. You can take a step. And there is nothing else in this universe that will be more satisfying, more beautiful, more life-giving, eternal pleasures forevermore than Jesus. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Go ahead and stand. This message is for all of us today. It's not for the 30%. It's for the 100%. Today, what I'm asking you to do is I'm asking you to take a step closer to Jesus today. I don't know what it looks like for you. For some of you, that step of faith is simply to be obedient to something he's asking. For some of you, that step of faith is simply to begin to pray when you haven't prayed for a really long time. For some of you, you find your relationship with Jesus at a bit of a plateau right now, and God is saying to you, carve out some extended time and step closer to me. I want to meet with you. And this time of prayer that we're going to have up front, this time is going to be a time of response. If you need to come forward and just confess something and say, I want to draw near, but I got this thing holding me back, then come do it. If you need to come forward and just say, hey, brother, hey, sister, will you just pray for me? I want to draw near, but I just feel like a lot of things are blocking it. They're holding me back. Then come pray for that. If you need healing, if you need forgiveness, if you need reconciliation, whatever you need today, just come forward. Just come home. Come home to Jesus. Just come home. Leave your burden at the altar. Take a step closer to him. That's my prayer for you today. Father God, thank you. Thank you for the time we have to open your word and to learn about the ways that you have torn the veil and prepared the way and given us your son so that we could draw near to you. That a temptation of the enemy is to keep us away. But God, I pray this morning that if anybody in the sound of my voice that's hearing this word right now, that's hearing your spirit, that knows they need to draw near, Lord, that they would come forward and they'd pray with somebody. Because we got to encourage each other, spur one another on to love and good deeds. That's why the church is here. 
We're a collective body of people drawing near to you with you as the center of it all. Jesus, you're the center. It's all about you, God. We love you. We thank you. We give you glory, and we say all of this in Jesus' name. So when you're ready, come forward. For the rest of you, let's just sing this out. Lift your voice uh, up to Jesus.